Grab your popcorn and silence those cell phones because the show is about to start. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Rick Blaine is an award-winning film critic featured on TheBigScreen.net.org and has been highlighted on over 75 unreleased independent film posters in less than 12 different countries. Nick Brown. He's been the high school projectionist for the AV Club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened. And now, they're joining forces. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Hey, we're back. Yes, we are. Welcome back. You know, we thought that Rick and Nick were actually going to be taking over the podcast. That kind of was going to be the handoff. It's frustrating, isn't it? Right. Yeah, guys, don't come in. They're going to come in and do the show finally. Oh, okay. And they didn't. No. Yeah, we we thought finally our time filling in was over. We had had a great time. We had filled in to the best of our ability. And then, no. they, They didn't even show up then. So now Dave and I have been called back in once again to save the day once again. And Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is officially back up and running. So welcome to the show. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. It's great to be back with you. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater. It's a great place to go and catch a movie. Don't forget about $5 movie nights on Tuesdays and a lot of great food that you can get at the concessions as well. And they've got deals on Tuesdays as well. It's the Bemidji Theater located on Highway 2 just across from the airport. Dave, it's it's great to be back doing the podcast, isn't it? It is fun. It was uh, a little chunk of time away with Rick and Nick. Not sure if they were going to or not to. You'd think they'd wait for New Year's to do a resolution. I promise I will do my show and my podcast. Uh, but it never came to fruition. So no. that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, we love doing the podcast. So we were more than happy to step back in. You and I coincidentally, have been pretty busy, too, Yeah, over these recent weeks. Yeah, we've got a new baby coming. You've got all kinds of sports babies that are in business right now. Speaking of, we might as well sew up the next topic on this show. I was thinking, we're not talking about it today. We should do a sports one coming up here in the very near future because we haven't dabbled into that yet. We've got a sports movie that's on the way here in just a couple of weeks, and I am thrilled that Creed 2 is coming out very soon. Yeah. So I I think a sports topic is is overdue perhaps for this podcast. You called it, I concur. That'll be the next one. Yeah, I was I was thinking about it. You you were, co- you were coming up with some This is your background music. Keep talking. NFL on Fox is going to be my my theme music for it. Okay. Well, yeah, we we were you were coming up with ideas for for this particular episode, and we'll get into what those are going to be coming up. I was thinking even beyond that. I was like, let's let's think about what we might be able to do in the future as well, because there were some good things timing wise coming together, including why I had been away here recently. So it made sense. A lot of sports, yeah, a lot of sports stuff. Let's get into some current events before we get into our topic today. Um, At the box office lately, there. There have been some pretty good movies over over the course of the past month that have come along in terms of making a lot of mo- a lot of moolah when it comes to movies. Halloween was one of them. It yeah. did pretty well at the box office, and people liked it. It was really good. Saw it twice. Did you? It was one of the from after the summer. It was the one movie in the fall, even more so than Creed Two, that I really wanted to see. It just you know, there's a reason to make a sequel. Sometimes it's a money grab, and other times, oh. Have we got an idea? And not only that, 
everybody was back together. John Carpenter came back in a limited capacity. Even the guy who played Michael Myers in the original, even he came back. Wow. For one yep. quick shot. You know, it was everything about that movie, lightning in a bottle, it worked. And it was a good movie. And I heard that they got back. I haven't seen it yet, but I heard that they got back to the original formula that made Halloween work as well as it did and really become appreciated by as many people as it was. That's what it seemed like anyway. It, um, some of the sequels are better than others. They're not all created equal. But this captured a lot of the fun, the spirit um, the spookiness of it. I mean, it's modern day 2018. The, you know, what makes things scary anymore? You go watch the original Halloween, even though they made it 40 years ago in 1978, and the way that movie was made was well, but it looks dated. If you if you put all that aside, it's still a really good movie. But this one really changed things, and it deals with in a time of the Me Too movement and PTSD. It most definitely has that kind of thing incorporated in it with Jimmy Lee Curtis's character, Laurie Strode, and having to live 40 years in the shadow of a traumatic event and what she's transformed herself into, you know, it's it, it's very resonant in today's culture, and it was good, and it was scary. That's a great combination of things, and that it brought Jamie Lee Curtis back into the mix for doing all of those things, because it was it was her character that really started it all. And here's what I wonder now, Dave, does it does it all kind of tie off there? Do you think with when it comes to Halloween, or do you think there continues to be room for more to come? I'll, tell, I'll put it this way. I'll, there will be more, I guarantee it. They're already talking about it. Um, but I'm going to pull a Joe Maurer here and say it's good to leave them wanting more. Uh, you know, you could say this is the time to leave it, and it wouldn't be a bad way to leave it. But really, what are we talking about? Not securing a legacy. I mean, the, the original movie is always going to be the legacy. They don't really... Today is the 40th anniversary of Halloween 7. No, nobody ever does that. It's all about, you know, the original and everything else is just trying to have a little bit more fun of that spirit. Some movies have been better than others. Um, If you want to secure the legacy, then yeah, maybe Jamie Lee Curtis is done. Maybe John Carpenter's done. Maybe all the powers that made it happen the first time are done. But you know what? If you can still do something good and we have a really good idea, then do it. So they, it just needed a little TLC, the whole series did. A little tender love and care to get it back to what made it work. They need an idea, and they had one, and they really used it. Rather than saying, okay, that was a great success, let's do it again, which is very well possibly what they're doing now. you know. But originally the talk was they were going to do two movies, film them simultaneously. They decided, let's not do that. So they didn't try to leave. Obviously, they always leave room open for a sequel in these movies. Even if they kill the guy and mail his head to Norway, they still find a way for him to come back. So who knows? But I think at 90% likely they'll do another one. Nobody believes in an ending anymore. No, no. <laughs> the sequels, until the box office drops off too much, then they stop. And that's happened to this series before. But anyway. Sequels, we see them all the time these days. Remakes, we see them all the time these days. There's a remake that's in theaters right now. A Star is Born is back in a new iteration with a new cast and a new idea. The fourth version, right? Yes, the fourth version. And it has worked big time. Critics have loved it. And moviegoers have really enjoyed it as well. It is made, I think, 
based on box office mojo, an estimate of $178 million during its run thus far, which I think it's in it's into its sixth week now that this movie has been along. Um, and it has done great. And people have said that Lady Gaga's performance is tremendous. Bradley Cooper uh, does great with becoming a musician, essentially, and that the story really hits home in a lot of different ways. It's a timeless story. You know, somebody that's really a nobody comes out of obscurity and nails it, you know. Uh, and, and I'll give a lot of credit to Lady Gaga here. No, Nothing against Barbara Streisand and her version that came out in the 70s. Here's Lady Gaga who comes out, a lot of people kind of wrote her off as a Madonna clone in a weird way. It comes to these openings and gala events in a meat dress, just trying to grab attention. Like, okay, well, this is over. And then she sings at the Oscars, and it is just beautiful. She shows up, starts doing a little acting on American Horror Story. Now a star is born. There's talking Oscar buzz. This gal's got some significant talent, whether you're talking about just singing or acting or advocacy. She is, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan. She stopped being a caricature so yeah. much, and she started to diversify her skill set of what she actually does with performing. And outside of the singing and then also getting into now the acting side of things, too. I mean, she she is extremely polarizing. And, the, and I have, yeah, I, I'm a little bit leery of the way that she creates her art sometimes with the way that she creates her music and and some of the the way that she puts it all together but like madonna right didn't she do a sex book in the 90s that was all but like you don't remember that? it was all but like porn i mean it was just to keep her name front oh, and center gosh. and uh but i mean she keeps reinventing herself and lady gaga in a way is kind of following that mold but you gotta deny, you can't deny where there is actual legitimate talent and they both have it but lady gaga for the sake of this Impressive, Right, especially going on to the big screen for the first time. Like you said, she had been in American Horror Story. People had really enjoyed her there, and now in A Star is Born, really doing well there, too. We'll see what that movie does come awards season. There's already early buzz and chatter about that movie when it comes to the awards. We'll see if it, if it holds up then. Speaking of one little quick side note with that, they were not going to be so eligible for the Grammys, apparently. The, the soundtrack to the movie came out at the same time as the movie, and it was just about the cutoff for consideration for this really? year's Grammy. With the exception of the one single that's going right now, Shallow, that'll be eligible, but all the rest of the soundtrack will not because huh. it didn't come out in time for the cutoff. That's so, too bad. So a little bit of a controversy there. But. Okay. You would think they could be at least a little flexible, maybe, well, sometimes, think, but you've got to cut it off at a certain point. You would think, it, like, the movies, they'll have them come out at limited release around Christmas time, and then they'll go wide after the first of the year, just so it can be eligible for the Oscars. You know, as long as it opens in a couple of screens in New York and L.A., and then they yeah. pull it, you know, maybe there's something they could do with the music, too, but I don't know. Otherwise, a movie that has come out pretty recently, it's in just its second week, or was just in its second week, was Bohemian Rhapsody, yep. which has done extremely well at the box office. It's already up over $100 million, um, through its second week. Critically, though, it has not exactly met expectation in terms of how it's done. People have said it comes up a little bit short, and speaking of shallow it's a bit of a shallow biopic is is what people have said well the one thing that i've not seen the movie yet but i've heard it's okay it's entertaining particularly if you're a queen fan but you got to call it what it is one of the big things that is a big draw for freddie mercury in particular is his personal life and it is very very varnished over 
you know, he was That's one of the, what I've heard. He yeah. was one of the early guys. You know, he was in that genre with Rock Hudson. You know, when AIDS was a new thing, and you know, if you remember Wayne's World, that got popular and it brought the song Bohemian Rhapsody. It charted again in the '90s, 15 years after it came out. And that got Queen popular again, and it was right about then that Freddie Mercury announced he had AIDS and died the next day. And that's a huge part of not just the mystique of him, but the band. And it's just it's just kind of pushed to the side. You know, the last part of the movie is Live Aid when they did that night in '85, and that was probably about the time that he was first becoming aware that something was up. You know, health wise. So that's a big, big part of it. And it just kind of varnishes over all of it. So you leave a big part of things aside. So there's another uh, opera pick that's coming up uh, about Elton John, Rocket Man, that looks to be much less varnished that Elton John himself is a part of. So this, keep your eyes open for that one. There is a teaser trailer out for it. Okay. That could be a wild ride. All right. We'll keep an eye out for it for down the road and then here we are snow on the ground getting ready to the holiday season the grinch just came out it did and that's getting really good reviews it's it's getting i've seen all okay reviews is is what i've seen and well i mean it did great at the box office too i mean 66 million on its first weekend here just this past weekend and a new different kind of animation style for for the Grinch. This is the third time that it's yeah. been in some kind of feature presentation kind of mode. There was the old cartoon version, there was the live action one with Jim Carrey, and now we've got the the 3D animation style that you know, that is coming. Where they had Boris Karloff, Frankenstein himself doing the Grinch from the 60s cartoon version to get Benedict Cumberbatch. Although all the ads I've seen it sounds like a normal voice. You know, I'm sure very different from Cumberbatch, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, maybe you'd think that maybe it's just, I have not seen the movie version yet, so maybe they're just doing something for the ads, but you know, for what you know Gumber, Benedict Cumberbatch sounds a certain way and I'm not hearing that in any of the ads, so maybe he, they're holding that back. From what I have seen and I and I especially saw this with with his interpretation of Doctor Strange, he can and also with uh Smaug, the the stupendous, he can or whatever other names you want to go with. He can vary his voice in many different ways from what I've observed with what makes him a skilled actor. He's not just great in terms of getting into different characters. He varies his voice exceptionally well, too. But I would think as the Grinch, something sinister. You know, you can do that. It seems like they went to more of a kid-friendly kind of, or a little bit less sinister in that way with, with what he did with the Grinch. I mean... The cartoon one, it has a little bit of sinister to him, a little bit. The live action version that Jim Carrey did had silliness to him. Oh, yeah. And this one just seems to be, well, at least from what I've seen in the commercials, just kind of just kind of straight line. There's not too much in, in the way of character, at least that I've seen. Maybe it's a little bit different in the movie itself. I may kind of get the uh, the feeling it's a cross between the original '60s cartoon with a little bit of the Jim Carrey thrown in, and you know. But it did come out early November. You know, some people are in the Christmas spirit. I'm not there yet. We're getting there, but it's a little on the early side for a Christmas movie. But if it's still playing in a couple more weeks, it could get a bit of a resurgence once we kind of flip that calendar from Thanksgiving to Christmas. So yeah, we're getting there. Anything else in terms of current events that you can think of? It's been a decent fall. It really has. Um, of course, the Disney Fox thing is pretty much official now. So yes, here we go. But you know, the, one interesting thing to pass along is that in the wake of all this, you know, they're releasing a PG thirteen version of Deadpool too, 
called Once Upon a Deadpool. And they, really? they've edited it down. It's going to be getting theatrically released. They've shot some new scenes for it, but very much in the vein of A Princess Bride, where in the beginning and, the, and throughout the movie, it's the grandpa reading to the kid. Well, now it's Deadpool reading to the kid, very much in homage to that. And it's a much more team down version. So Disney, keep in mind now, own 20th Century Fox. Uh-huh. So this is a 20th Century Fox movie. You got to believe they're very much watching this. You know, because if there's ever going to be a Deadpool 3, it's going to come out under the Disney banner, even if it's 20th Century Fox or whatever they ultimately do. Would Di- And I know you've not seen any of the Deadpool movies. Would Disney go along with some of the hard R that Deadpool has done and raked in box office money with? So stay tuned. It's a big gamble, especially yeah. it's a re-release. It's a re-release, very watered down. But done tongue in cheek. That's a very that that's a big re, uh, a big gamble. I would say it's a big risk because you're risking alienating the fans that Deadpool has yeah. with, with the style that Deadpool has done. It is not my style by any stretch. The the way that the Deadpool movies go, but there are a lot of people who have really Embraced taken it. to Deadpool being a different offbeat kind of hero, superhero. Anti-hero, whatever you want to run hard with hard R hero, yeah, ugh. and and now you're changing that up, and you're changing it up by getting into a re-release of one that just came along, a movie that just came along that a lot of people went to see. That's that's a that's a bold move. That's a risky move. You are you're putting this new relationship on the line. In kind of a big way here off the start. But here's another thing we've kind of touched base on, so I don't want to get too deep into this. You know, 20th Century Fox, you think about a lot of the properties, not just franchises that have come along that are now under the Disney banner. Are we ever going to see another Alien movie? How about the X-Men movies following the Dark Phoenix one that's coming? Yes. they got to take the edge off all of those if they're going to come out under the Disney banner or... Are they going to just sort of have 20th Century Fox kind of be its own side company owned by Disney, but not a Disney company, like grown-up Disney? I would prefer it that way. I would, too, because, I mean, they're going to own 60%, I think is what it is, of all media after this deal. Yeah. I don't need a whole world Disney-fied to be looking at it through a, a rose lens. You know what I mean? It may be grotesque, maybe hard R, but you can't, you can't. You ever seen the movie Demolition Man where everything got safe in the future, you know? You can't have safety foam on everything. <laughs> you need some hard edges on things. I saw a piece of that movie. That was it's, it. It's a good movie. All right. We are talking today, back with Rick and Nick Talk Flicks, about underrated movies. Movies that we have deemed to be in the underrated category. And how often is it that, that you will talk to a person and they'll go, oh, that movie is so underrated. I've said that many different times about different movies. But what what have you deemed as underrated, Dave, for, for discussion, at least in terms of this podcast? Because it is a very general definition. Yeah. If, you know, we're not getting into ratings again. You know, well, how do you define a good movie and that kind of thing? A good movie is a good movie. You know, you can define it or rate it however you want to. But these are movies that either underperformed at the box office. We've talked about Shawshank. But even more so than that, movies that have really found, call it cult films, that have really garnered some serious attention, but they did not when they were out in theaters. The movie bombed. Or it was a movie that did okay when it came out. But it kind of got lost in time and got lost in the shuffle and the memories of other other movies that came around it. 
whatever the case, a lot of people around, well, I never heard of that movie. I never heard of that movie ever. Really? It was a pretty good movie. That yeah. kind of thing. You yeah. know, underrated movies, movies that when you're looking around on Netflix or Amazon or whatever the case, and you find this movie you've never heard of, it's worth looking into. Or you find it on TV or people mention it. You know, is it one of those movies you're going to spend an hour and a half, two hours watching to be told it was a great movie and find out it was really a bad movie? That's what we're talking about. Movies that you may not have caught the first time that are well worth catching around now. Yes. And it is funny getting into some of these because I think these are movies that you sometimes look at and go, well, is that is that really underrated? Could I really consider that underrated? I think it is open to it, though. When open you, to interpretation. In, open to interpretation. But when you give the the kind of definition that you gave, it does kind of help where – Maybe it didn't perform very well critically at the uh, critically or at the box office, and yet there was appreciation for it that was given in some cult fashion since then. Or when you talk to people, they go, oh, I love that movie. And they wouldn't maybe necessarily think of it off the top of their head, but they do love that movie. So There's a difference between guilty pleasure movies, movies that I kind of like that I would never recommend to anybody because right. I like the stupidity of it or whatever. It's personal. It's personal. For me, it means something, but I would never say, oh, you've got to check this movie out. No, if you catch it on your own, awesome. But this is a different category. You never heard of this movie? Oh, you've got to see this movie. I'll give you yeah. an example. Here's what we're starting with. Uh, going from Deadpool, Ryan Reynolds, he is now working on a remake of this first movie, Clue, based on the board game. Uh, now, this came out in 1985, the original version, and Ryan Reynolds is working on a reboot of it. Exactly what that might be and when it might be, stay tuned. But with his manic energy, it could be interesting. But the original one, you're thinking, you know, I, you don't think of a lot of good movies that are based off of board games that do well. Battleship comes to mind. Um, but Clue worked. And it's got an all-star cast. But by all-star, I mean characters that you might not know their names, but you'll know their face in every single one of them. Tim Curry is one in particular. I've seen his face in so many different movies. And Oh, yeah. Christopher Lloyd was Doc that? Brown yeah. and Back to the Future yep, and Uncle Lloyd. Fester. You got Madeline Kahn. It was in every uh, 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 Mel Brooks movie. Michael McKeon. Leslie um, Ann Warren. And Le- um, um, uh, Eileen Brennan. She was yep. the mom in Exorcist, but was also an accomplished stage actress. I know Michael McKean now from Better Call Saul. That's yeah. That's how I know Yeah. Him. He later would go on to Saturday Night Live, Laverne and Shirley before. I mean, it's all-star cast. Um, and it works. It is so manic and it is so layered yes. that if you watch that movie numerous times, you will pick up more things. It's not in the style of Naked Gun where there are so many funny little background jokes that for the hundredth time you've seen it, I never saw that one before or heard that joke. It's so rapid fire that you're going to miss things the first time. Plus, it was so unique because different theaters received different endings. There were three different endings to the movie, and wherever you watched it from, you were getting a different ending from it. Like, I went to the Chief Theater this past summer and went to see the the production of Clue that was done by the Paul Bunyan Playhouse. Saw that, too. Yeah, and they had different endings every night going on there. This is a movie that has different endings. It's wild. It was done in a couple of things. I mean, every time you play the board game, it's, you know, whodunit. Who did it where and with what weapon? That's basically how the game is played. Well, that's how the show on the stage was done. And that's how they kind of did it with the movie also, but it was also a gimmick. So there were three endings. There was a fourth ending they didn't shoot or they didn't release. 
Um, but there was three endings that were released, and depending on what theater you went to, you would see one of the three endings. When it came out on home video, and this is the way a lot of people can do it, you can either select one of them randomly or you can see all three endings. Well, this is what could have happened. But what about if this happened? And it doesn't really matter that you know who ended up doing it. It's a fun, zany, high-energy, layered Pays homage to what had come before, Red Herrings and this and that. And, and it became quite a cult movie. I, yeah. I think you summed that up really well of how it became a cult movie. But you had not just the cast, you had good people behind the scenes. John Landis was involved in this. And this is when he was in the vein of American Warwolf in London, uh, Blues Brothers, all of those. And you also had the combination of that with Deborah Hill that sometimes gets underserved. She and John Carpenter created the Halloween movies. So a lot of the creepy vibe, and it was some kind of creepyish moments, despite the fact it's a straight-up comedy. It was a very well-done movie that definitely holds up. And it's in the vein of a lot of those 60s classics where it's an all-star, it's a mad, 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 mad world, or murder by death. It's got that old weird world feel to it. Yes. Zany comedy. Did not do well at the box office. I don't remember what, what the budget for it was, but it made half its budget by the time it was done, but has found life after that. But a lot of people may not have run into it, or at least haven't seen it since the 80s. And so as far as today's market, a lot of people probably have not yet seen it. So unfortunately, we're bringing this up after Halloween. So watching something like that around Halloween time is a great time. But honestly, it'd be good any time of the year. It's a great movie, 1985 Clue. Find it, see it, you'll love it. One of the first movies that I came across that had a big cult following to it, or that a re- that had a real underrated vibe to it, came when I was in college. It was my sophomore year of college, and one of my friends in in the group of friends that I that I had in college, he kept begging us to watch this movie. We would watch movies all the time. In evenings, we would we would work on homework and we'd put movies on. That's kind of what our, our routine was. He begged for weeks to watch this movie. And some people knew what this movie was. I didn't have a clue. Actually, I did have a slight clue on what this movie was. I had heard of it before, but, but nothing beyond that. So finally, along came his birthday after a couple of weeks. And we said, okay, we will watch this movie for you tonight. So we sat down. As a group, and we watched Scott Pilgrim versus the World, <laughs> and it was awesome. So many of us turned to him afterward, and we said, "Why didn't we watch that movie before? Why did we not watch that movie before?" It was it was awesome. We had such a great time watching that movie. That movie, I think, is is a prime in- example of what an underrated movie is like because. If you look at the numbers, it it underperformed oh, big time. at the box office. Big underperforming movie at the box office. Edgar Wright directed it. Of course, he's known for the, the Shaun of the Dead movies and all of that. Um, and it it really didn't do great. And yet, with, with some notable people in the cast, when you look at the cast that was assembled, it's like a, oh my gosh, that person's in it kind of movie. I mean, Michael Sarah obviously... Being at the center of it, you you go okay. He's he's at he's the the main headline guy for it, and yet what a funny guy to have as the the main headline guy because it's Michael Sarah. But then you've got people like Anna Kendrick, Chris Evans, 
Um, Kieran Culkin, Macaulay Culkin's brother. You've got Brandon Routh who's in it. You've got you've got people popping up left and right in this movie that make you go, whoa, wait a second. Brie Larson is in that movie too. You, you've got people popping up left and right who make you go, wow. Aubrey Plaza, another one. It, they're just all over the place that make you go, they're in this movie? It's it, it's crazy. And, and it's such an entertaining movie. It's just... Flat out entertaining with the way that they they put that together. It's a comic book come onto the screen. It's like a video game on screen, almost. right? It's and a video game too because this this was based off of the the comic books, the Scott Pilgrim comic books, and it's just a super entertaining, fun, goofy kind of weird movie that works really really well and has a great cult following to it now. Well, tell me. I mean, I've seen the movie, but for those listening, give me a real brief couple sentence synopsis what this movie's about well scott pilgrim is basically this um let's just say he's this timid guy like who, michael Sarah. yeah kind of like michael Sarah, <laughs> which is why michael Sarah is perfect to play this he's this timid guy who just kind of floats through life a little bit un- until he meets this girl ramona flowers and then he's he's basically trying to win over ramona who's kind of into who's kind of interested in him but Ramona has these these seven evil exes, and Scott needs to defeat those exes in order to be able to date Ramona. And along the way, he ends up learning more about Ramona, um, and he learns a lot more than what he bargained for along the way. But he also learns a lot about himself along the way, too. And again, it's an oddball collection of people that comes along. You know, now that I'm condoning any of this, but when I first saw the movie, I thought I had taken drugs and forgot it. I was like, this. I'm feeling like I'm tripping wow. out watching this movie. Just some of the visuals. I don't take drugs. That's that's a that's a great selling point. I don't do the, them, nor the do movie. I condone them. But it is a it's a flashy movie visually. I was like, I feel like I'm hallucinating yeah. here. I haven't slept well. But that's not. It wasn't me. It was the way they made the movie. Right. But it was a fun way to do it. The music in the movie is is really a trip too because yeah. um, Scott plays in this band. And uh, this band has some some really interesting music that they put out. It's uh, it's it's funny some of the different songs that that they have. Um, notably, they start with a song that Scott deems called Launchpad McQuack, but apparently that's the t- the title that they didn't settle on for them. These are the one song. of this is one of those movies that when you see it, you'll understand why maybe it didn't, but then you realize the appreciation of what made it so good. Oh yeah. And you can understand why it's an underappreciated movie. So there's a lot to like about it. It's different, it's quirky, but it is good. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater, a great place to go and catch a movie. Don't forget about their $5 movie nights on Tuesdays. Bemidji Theater is located on Highway 2, just across from the airport. I hope we're not an underrated podcast. I hope we we are properly rated and that we're Our- rated good or if we are underrated that it's that that's a good thing too you just a podcast man you guys gotta see this podcast. no one no one listens to it but it's really really good i'll give you another one oh, uh it's one of my personal favorite movies this is probably a movie that could have very wound up on the history channel as a documentary but it did much better it's called 13 days it's about the cuban missile crisis the movie came out in 2000 kevin costner Bruce Greenwood, who plays JFK and does a great job. Dylan Baker. It's another one of those movies that's got a lot of character actors that are very well known. Stephen Culp does a great job as RFK. Um, Cuban Missile Crisis took place in 1962. 
And it was very, very close to World War III, where obviously just background information, the Soviets put all these immediate intermissiles in uh, Cuba that could reach pretty much everywhere in the U.S., except for far Washington and Alaska and Hawaii. And for 13 days, we were right on the brink of World War III, and it really did come down to the brink. Now, here's where it gets interesting. As, um, as a kid who was born in the 70s, I know very basic information about the Cuban Missile Crisis. I didn't live through it. I didn't have to do the duck and cover drills. Those of you that are old enough lived through it. Those of you that weren't old enough, ask your parents. They'll tell you more about it. Where there was daily drills where the siren would go off, but it wasn't an active shooter situation like some schools get now. It was a dive under your desk because here come the nuclear missiles drills. I mean, right. it was it was frightening. So... The fact that a lot of what happened in real life happened behind closed doors, you know, discussions in the Oval Office and that kind of thing. Um, from what I understand, this movie is very historically accurate. Now, there are some things that for obvious reasons they had to kind of guesstimate on. What did JFK and Robert Kennedy talk about amongst themselves? Well, only those two people really know. But people that saw the movie and knew those people said, yeah, I'd find what they said plausible. You know, who knows what they said? So it's it's one of those movies where we've talked about it before. Are there instances where you can see a movie and look at it as an actual history lesson? This movie would be on that list. And it was a movie where I didn't know that much about the Cuban Missile Crisis going into it, at least not the details. And watching the movie and then wanting to learn more about what actually happened and realizing I just learned a lot of it. It's a very well-done movie. It's a, it's a taut thriller. It's like Apollo 13 and that you know what happens – but even so, you're nervous as to what's going to happen. And it does take, obviously it's a little bit of a, a gamble when you're taking a guess on what exactly went on behind the scenes during during a setting and a time like that. But in order to portray it, you have to kind of take that, that chance and, and run with it at least the best that you can in a way that you think is going to do the story justice, right? Well, it's, it's that too, but it's also, it's about conflict. I don't just mean between the Americans and the Soviets. It was in the Kennedy administration itself, and they had just had uh, the Bay of Pigs situation, which you know is a long story I won't get into, but um, military advisors and Kennedy and his administration, they were adversarial. You know, There was groups in the U.S. that wanted to go to war, and others that said, this is a bad idea, we got to stay away from this, and we got really close to actually having it happen. And if we'd gone to a conflict, it very well could have led to World War III. And that was, I think, the tagline of the movie. You'll never believe how close we came. They were members that were very, very involved that went to bed one night not knowing if they were going to wake up in the morning. Yeah, I've, I've heard stories of that too. So it just They woke up to find out the world was still spinning and everyone was still alive and everything had kind of pulled back. I mean, it really did come down to the wire. And uh, this movie really captures that. And it's a brooding, building movie, and it's extremely well done. And Roger Donaldson has done a couple other movies. He's an Australian director, did a great job with it. Kevin Costner plays uh, Kenneth O'Donnell, who is a real-life secret advisor or special advisor to the president. So he's kind of like the fly on the wall. So you kind of get, you know, his perspective of this. You know, whether you like Costner's East Coast accent or not is another thing. But beyond that... Costner's hit or miss with some. He's hit or miss yeah. with some. He does an okay job. But, I mean, Bruce Greenwood and Stephen Culp, who play the Kennedy brothers... Boy, they did a good job. They really, really did. Um, so if you're looking for something historical, something with some teeth to it, something you can really get into, and it does reward on repeated viewings, 13 Days came out in 2000. It's a very good movie. And did not do that well at the box office. Obviously, underperformed. Right. But well worth watching. 
the more that we get into this topic, the more movies I'm thinking of that would that would deem that I would deem underrated, which I'm glad for. You know, as we've gone along here, I'm like I keep thinking of other movies that maybe I could get added on, especially as you're describing some of the ones that you're thinking of in the way that they did. How about this one? This movie came from a director who was just really starting to ascend. He had had a, 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 a in terms of a movie that was like a cult favorite that was really under the radar. He had previously had had one. This one maybe even more so was under the radar because that under the radar movie that he did prior, that was one that got some some pub and some attention. And then he did a big superhero flick. And then he did this movie to follow up that superhero flick before he made maybe his biggest one ever. I am, of course, talking about Christopher Nolan, and I am talking about The Prestige, which I think is a massively underrated movie. Yeah. Because when you think about Christopher Nolan and the movies that he's done, what do you think of? You think Dark of the Knight. You think of the Batman movies. Inception probably comes to mind. Recently, Dunkirk, which he did last year, and Interstellar as well. And then when it comes to, well, how did he get started? Well, you think of Memento, and it's, it's kind of easy to think of Memento. The Prestige is a movie that I think gets a little bit kicked to the side simply because he's had such a great filmography otherwise. And yet the prestige might be right up there with the very best that he's done in so many different ways because it's a movie that is – it's a take really on the movie industry when you think about it. In a you way, know, because yeah. it's because Show it's, business anyway. Show business because it's a story of two magicians competing back and forth with each other to the point where it gets deadly with the way that they compete, and the way that they are trying to wow the crowd. It is a movie about the movie industry. It was another one that kind of suffered from another movie that came out about the same time that was a very similar plot line, The Illusionist, with Jessica Biel and Edward right. Norton. And that was another good one, but they, they're they not the same movie, but they were very similar. You know, it, So they, they didn't really work well for each other. Well, wasn't that the same movie? No, different movie. Very. But, yeah. Especially when you watch The Prestige. Like, I've I've shown it to friends who just have their minds blown oh, after yeah. they watch it. And they're like, wow, what a movie. And you've got a great cast in there, too, when you've got Hugh Jackman, Christian Bale, Scarlett Johansson, Michael Caine, Andy Serkis is in it as just a normal person in there, Andy Even Serkis. David Bowie. But, but I was getting sorry, to that. Sorry. David Bowie is, is a surprise when you're like, he's Tesla? And it's a great reveal, too, when he's coming through the electricity and walking up to, to talk to Robert Angier. You're like, oh my gosh, it's David Bowie. And But but Christopher Nolan really wanted Bowie because he had he's been... He's a, a good actor, surprisingly enough. He was, yeah. yeah. He was very, very good. I know that that getting him was tough, but he wanted Bowie in there to make a point just about kind of the 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 nature of art when it comes to art on the screen or art in music, the nature of it being that it it may not be always appreciated in its time. And the prestige, I think, is one of those movies I agree. that goes that direction. It is it's a pretty amazing ride, and what a twist. I mean, it talks about how every magic trick has three parts to it. Well, this movie plays out in that exact way. It is just full of tropes and themes, and it's just a really well-spun, well-crafted movie that only made just a fraction over $100 million in the box office, but I think has a lot of qualities that, that continue to maintain the further on in time that we go away from it.
I agree. I've seen the movie. I think it's very good. I think he did it between The Batman Begins and The Dark Knight. He did. Where he did Inception between the other two. I think people are like, yeah, it's good, but we wanted the next Batman movie. We're all waiting for the Joker to come out, and so it maybe got overshadowed by another Nolan project. But yeah, I agree. Very, very good movie. So I got another one um, that's actually another one of my all-time favorites list, and it's it did okay at the box office. Another great all-star cast about a pretty good um, subject that still is relevant in today. It's called Sneakers. Came out in 1992. All-star cast. Robert Redford fronts it. But you also have um, David Strathairn. You have one of the last roles of River Phoenix. Dan Aykroyd in a dramatic role. Uh, Sidney Poitier's in it. Mary McDonald. Ben Kingsley. It's a great cast and a lot you of other... You have talked about it before on this podcast, and you, you continue to bring it up because I, I think you really believe that this one it is a good movie. credit. It got... The way, they review, the way the movie was marketed was horrible. And I can't even tell you, what well, was it a comedy? Is it a drama? Yes, to all of it. It's a dramedy, thriller, action, comedy. It's everything. So how do you market something like that? To watch the trailer for it, you think it's an espionage thriller. And you're not wrong, but there's a whole lot left out. It's very smart. It's very tongue-in-cheek. It's very well-made. Even the cinematography is gorgeous. The guy was just playing with lights and motion and in a way that you really see to appreciate. And it's got a fun twist ending. And what it's about, I mean, the movie is dated a little bit because at the time, the internet was like, what's the inner what? You know, it hadn't really existed yet. So the world of computers has changed significantly since then. However... Um, what it is about is information. And in the day and age where you've got your social media accounts harvesting your information, this is largely about that. So it's about computer hackers, a group that they are paid to break into systems to see if people can break into the systems to make them less hackable. And then they're hired for a secret job. Turns out it's not exactly what they bargained for. So it's an espionage, thriller, comedy, drama, all of it. Um, it really is a good movie. It's got a good jazz score, great cast. Phil Alden Robinson has done some great movies like Field of Dreams and Some of All Fears. Um, I highly recommend it. Uh, so Sneakers from 1992, it's a great one. It really, really is. And I still haven't got to see it yet. And, I'll loan it to you if you want and, it. And yet when I look at that cast and every time that you bring that movie up, and talk about it. I keep thinking to myself, I've got to give this movie a try. Because what what's the point of what we're doing here with talking about these underrated movies? These are movies that maybe you are going to look at and say, I want to give this a try. And oftentimes, that's what movie going is. Many times, that's what it is. Yeah, with your superhero movies, you're going into it kind of knowing what to expect, or you're going you know, with some fandom. But w- with movies like that, you're kind of taking a flyer on going there to see it, and and you're kind of hoping maybe this will work out. And and that's where the underrated quality, I think, comes in, too. I'll put it to you this way. This is a movie, I have to look up what it did at the box office. It didn't overwhelm. The way I ran into this movie, as I was on vacation at a ski lodge, and this is one of those movies they had in the lobby that you could borrow for your room. I was like, huh, looks interesting. Brought it up to the room. I didn't know anything about it. Had never heard about it. Watched it. Watched it twice that weekend alone because it was that good. I said, "You guys got to watch this. Wow. Come, over, come over to my room and watch this movie." Saw it last night. We're watching it again. It was one of those movies, and it's well worth watching. Like I said, the subject matter it's still relevant. It's slightly dated just because it was early '90s pre-internet, but it wow, good movie. Slightly dated movies are okay though. Yeah, sometimes. nothing wrong with that. Yeah, it's a snapshot. It, it's a snapshot of a past time, and I. 
I like movies that are like that sometimes. I, I like going back and, and thinking about things in a, in a different context of a different time. So I still really want to see that one. I'll loan it to you. Good. You're, you finished with uh, Mission Impossible. I'll loan you Yeah, sneakers. you've been loaning me a lot of movies lately. And I'm, I'm glad for it. It's Educating, gr- yeah. It's great. This is a movie that I that I have loved showing people because I believe it to be very underrated, and the box office for it backs it up. It only made thirty four and a half million when it had its run in the nineteen nineties. Hmm. I love that thing you do. <laughs> I yeah. love that movie. I know you've brought up movie. sneakers before. I've brought up that thing you do before. It is a criminally underrated movie. Yeah. It's the first movie that Tom Hanks directed, and it's just it is. So under the radar, just with the way that it operates. It's just a charming, fun movie with a killer soundtrack. The, uh, I mean, killer music that, that accompanies it that they came up with with the Wonders. I mean, if you stick the Wonders in the 1960s, they would chart oh, yeah. with some of the music that you hear in that movie. And Tom Hanks is great popping in and out as Mr. White, this this overseer of the band. And... and each of the band members, they're just they're just great. Each one has their own role, as as you find out in the movie, Mr. White, Tom Hanks' character. He has he just has you're different names one. for each person. Yeah. You're the smart one. You know, there's there's the fool, there's the talent, um, there's the bass player. That's literally his name, <laughs> T B player. So you've got you've got each of those different people, plus the fact that, hey, it, that's Steve Zahn. Hey, that's Ethan Embry. You know, you've got these guys who who pop up and, and Liv Tyler, young Liv Tyler in there. You and and you've got other people who come along along the way who you're like, hey, I recognize that person. Even Brian Cranston makes an appearance as Virgil Gus Grissom for a moment there on the uh, the Hollywood showcase that they have there in the in the movie. It's just a great, great movie with terrific humor mixed in and just a lot of charm to it and and the music is just oh, yeah. awesome i've got some of the music and i and i listen to it from time to time on my phone so. that movie is a gem from the mid late 90s all in the 60s it was a great movie i completely agree very very good movie yeah very good movie very underrated movie and yet i, I mean that thing you do charted yeah. for a little bit for the for the time i mean in the 90s you yeah. got a 60s song that's charting you and i play it on 90s yeah weekend, so it's it's just such a great movie with the way that that it plays back on the one hit wonders of the 1960s and and even there are even some Beatles references in there too like why don't you guys comb your hair like those guys you know why don't you guys comb your hair like guys from like the guys from Great Britain don't you like that like you get those little Beatles references oh it was an, it was a love letter to the Beatles in a lot of ways the Oneaters no what what happened to the Oneaters the Wonders no you're just the Wonders you know the Beatles they spelled their name a little different than the Bug right you know? it, there's a lot of homage to the early '60s love affair with uh, the rock music that was coming in um, yeah it's a squeaky clean version of Almost Famous it's a really really good movie <laughs> you've got another one too I got plenty more I could keep going uh, well, let's let's each give I've got a couple as well. Let's each give some quick blurbs on on a few others that come to mind for each of us. I've got a couple that come to mind. One is uh, another one from the 80s called Space Camp. Space Camp, unfortunately, was coming out about the time of the Challenger disaster. It was ill-timed. It was ill-timed, and the Challenger disaster happened, and the movie was quickly held back and was released very quietly after the fact because it's about an incident with the space shuttle and people weren't really in the mood to see that at that point. At that point, they hadn't even figured out what happened with the Challenger. They just knew it blew up 
and that was it was a big problem. But the movie itself played very very well. It's uh, it's got Steven Spielberg's fingerprints all over it, but he's not officially involved in it. But his future wife is Kate Capshaw, Leah Thompson, Tate Donovan, uh, Kelly Preston. It's got a great cast, even a young Leaf Phoenix, who uh, you may now know as Joaquin Phoenix. Wow! Um, it's about a bunch of kids at space camp that get to sit in the space shuttle for a test, and then oops, that accidentally launches the kids into space. The special effects still hold up today. It's got John Williams doing the soundtrack to it, so it works. And the movie really is a good one. It's worth watching. It's a mid-'80s gem. Uh, came out in 86, like we said, about the time the Challenger disaster happened. But it's still well worth checking out. Even though the space shuttle doesn't fly anymore, it's a great snapshot of the mid-'80s. Here's a movie that, for those who like the rom-com genre, that I think is I think has developed a huge following because it was – Somewhat underrated at the time, but it has it has become just a huge, huge phenomenon. Ten Things I Hate About You. Yeah. That's a movie that it did all right when it came out. It was critic it was okay critically, but it has really developed a following since then. People love Ten Things I Hate About You for being a a, a rom com that at the time, maybe was a little underappreciated, but now as we're seeing rom-coms go by the wayside a little bit more, it's one that people look back on and go, I long for the days when that movie was in the box office. Plus, you know, Heath Ledger, that's that's one that's part of his legacy when you look back on that um, with his time uh, of acting. Um, and it's got it's got some young people in there like Joseph Gordon-Levitt when he's just a kid in Julia there. Stiles. Julia Stiles, of course. Yeah, it's well, it's a retelling of the Taming of the Shrew, if and I'm not that's mistaken. Part of it yeah. too. Yep, it's that retelling of a classic story, and it's it has stuck. I think it it got a little underrated because it um, on its opening weekend it opened behind the Matrix in wow. terms of it was second at the box office. It was around the time that the Matrix came out, so I wonder if that maybe played a little bit of a role in that, but. Over time, that movie has really developed a following of people who would say that is a very underrated movie, and they're right. It is a good movie. It got a great cast, good story. Obviously, it's based on Shakespeare's work. Um, very good, very contemporary. I completely agree with that one wholeheartedly. That was pretty good. Another one from you? I had uh, I had to write it down here. I've, oh, you know another really good one? Time Bandits. You ever heard of that one? No. If I ever even told you basically what the plot was, time-traveling midgets that abduct a kid. What? What? You'd go, yeah. huh? It's from uh, early 80s, maybe 81. Terry Gilliam, who you might know from Monty Python, he was the American. Actually, he's Minnesotan, but if you didn't know that. He's got very good movies, but they are bizarre. Whether it's 12 Monkeys, whether it's Brazil, whether it's The Adventures of Baron Manchusen, um, Dr. Parnassus. I mean, he's, he's his movies are very out there. They're very bizarre, but they're very good. This one actually has an all-star cast, a lot of little people actors, and as you may not know, but even some well-known people pop up. You've got a lot of Monty Python actors pop up. You've got Sean Connery that pops up a few times. Didn't think they were going to get him, but they did. Um, Michael Palin, Shelley Duvall, a lot of the British uh, comedic actors and even dramatic actors pop up. And it's about, essentially, if God has a map to jump through time portals through time, these midgets steal it. And they start jumping through time aboard the Titanic and into the desert and all kinds of things until it comes to a showdown between God and the devil, ultimate evil itself. It sounds bizarre, and it is, but it is really good. It's extremely layered. If you watch it, 
um, multiple times, you're rewarded with multiple viewings. It's bizarre, but it is really, really good. And even uh, former Beatle George Harrison, who was still involved in music, did the soundtrack to it, and also was wow. one of the producers on it. He got into some behind-the-scenes work. It teamed up with Monty Python and did some of their movies, Life of Brian. I think he produced that and this one. Um, it's very British, very sci-fi, very Doctor Who vibe. Very, very good. It's a comedy, action, sci-fi. It's really good. A neat combination of of people who are pretty well known, who they come across, and then this this cast of of these characters who are are going through it and, and oh, experiencing yeah. all these things. I didn't realize Kenny Baker yeah. was involved with it. That, Billy that's kind, Billy Barty's in it. You know, if you know a lot of those small people actors at the time, uh, the who's who of who is around then is there. So, and even the little boy, I think he only did this one movie and did a great job. A lot of times when the little kid is the main actor, you get tired of him by the end of the movie. This kid had a quality that, no, he was good. He wasn't obnoxious. He was really, really good. It's, I'm going to tell you straight up, it's a bizarre movie, just the concept of it. But Terry Gilliam has a way to make it work, and he does over and over again. It's something that would be appreciated. Would you underrate Napoleon Dynamite? Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, <laughs> it's, no. It's one that it is one that some people would say, "Wow, this is underrated," but it has a huge following. But yeah. there, people either love that movie or they hate that movie. I'm in the second my, camp. my family very divided on this movie. My my cousins they they are very divided on this movie. My my uncle just despises this movie but my aunt she just loves it and and that's kind of how my family is some some of us in my family we we love that movie just for the goofy qualities of it and then there are others my parents who are just like no this is stupid but actually i i still remember i think the first time we watched it um my dad was like rolling his eyes but the second time he was laughing hysterically when we when we watched this that movie and for only having a budget of $400,000. It was amazing that it made $46 million at the box office. Again, critics were divided on it. I, but, but people of my age just loved that movie when it came along in the mid-2000s because it was just irreverent. It was different. There was no discernible plot to it, and yet you were amused as all get out because it had such a weird, old-time feel to it. It was like... It was like Idaho was living a couple of decades in the past, and 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 you were getting a snapshot of it here with Napoleon Dynamite. You know, it's, it's like you said, it's one of those movies. A lot of my friends are like, oh, it's awesome. I watched it, and I just I didn't get it. We should do an episode about movies people love that I hate. You know, uh, that would be one of them. I it, it maybe it was over my head. I just I think there's things to appreciate. I could see why people liked it. I could see things to appreciate. It just it didn't grab me. Like basketball, I've got nothing against basketball. I just don't like it. It was just a goofy, weird, yeah. irreverent movie. And for whatever reason, I, I think because of those reasons, that's why it stuck. I, I, I think that's why that it, it found a following. And I think, like you said, people are going to like it or they're going to hate it. Even somebody that doesn't like the movie, I can, like I said, I can see reasons to appreciate it. I can see why people do like it. And not everyone is going to. And I was just one of the group that didn't. But that being the case... Would I say to people, don't watch this movie, save your money? No. I mean, clearly people do like it. Um, it's just something about it just didn't gel with me. I don't hate it. I just, I'd rather watch something else. But it's worth checking out if you want. If you've heard about it, yeah, I would suggest it. It really takes, it, it takes having a certain, yeah, just a, a certain appreciation of it to, to watch it and be like, uh, yeah, that, that's funny rather than, wow, this is stupid. It's, 
as I like to describe it, it's so dumb, it's funny. That's how I like to describe yeah, Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, I could go with that one. Because some people view it that way. Any others on your side, Dave? I'll give you one more. I keep going, but I'll give you one last one. If you went romantic comedy, I'll give you one more from the mid-90s, maybe 96, 97. Billy Crystal, Deborah Winger, Forget Paris. It's kind of in the vein of When Harry Met Sally, but it's a little different. Um, they get together, they fall in love, but it's not going to work. They break up, and they keep getting back together. They break up some more. It's a good, tragic love story that's not a tragedy as much as you think it's going to be a love story and a tragedy, but it's a good comedy. It's got some great moments. Even the opening scene, you get this nice church lady. She's cracking her knuckles, and you think she's going to play some wonderful hymn music. Oh, no, she's the organist at the ball game. You know, it just started. You think it's going to do one thing? And it does another thing. It's zany. It's funny. It's uh, anyone that has a hard time making their relationships work, but you love each other to death anyway. Uh, I think any couple can pretty much appreciate it. Forget Paris, mid-90s, Billy Crystal, vintage, great movie. Good supporting cast, too. Excellent. I'll I'll leave it at that. I'd go forever in a month, but that's enough to get your Netflix account going. Yeah, exactly. These are – it's cool going through some of these movies because, again, it it gives you ideas on movies that – Maybe don't get the kind of pub that they deserve. You know, the, you've got you've got certain movies that it, it's uh, throughout time that it's so easy to to have said, oh, I've heard of that movie, or yeah, I, I know about that one, whether they were good or bad. But there are some movies that just simply stay under the radar for for whatever reason. They maybe got superseded by by another movie at the time, or they weren't appreciated in their own time, but then found opportunity to be appreciated later even some movies like you you bring up Shawshank Redemption a lot of a movie yeah. that was underappreciated at its time it has gotten its due now oh yeah people people know that movie oh yeah there are other movies though that that don't ever really seem to get that appreciation maybe in full and you're kind of missing out unless you would take a chance and maybe decide, you know what, I'm going to rent that movie tonight. And you'll notice a lot of the movies we brought up, we didn't really get too much into the 2000s because sometimes it takes time for those movies to get seen and appreciated. And you know what? You know, um, Safety Not Guaranteed would be a movie that I could bring up real quick. That's only maybe about five years old. But right. it's, it's a very good movie. But sometimes it takes a little while. So a lot of the movies you brought up are 80s, 90s, maybe early 2000s. And we're, we're really bringing up a lot beyond that. Here's here's one that I think is already very underrated, and that's First Man. I went to go see that in. I the- want to see that. I haven't seen it. I yet. went to go see it in theaters, and it was it was terrific. It was a very very good movie, and it's not done very well at the box office. It has really underperformed. Despite the subject matter, yeah, I'm surprised right. at that. It's gone just over forty million in terms of what it's made, but it was fantastic. It was a really really good movie. In terms of go- getting into the the dangers of the space race, as well as the personal side of Neil Armstrong, and the, those two things combining together to make for a really good movie, I I thought it was great. It hasn't done exceptionally well at the box office though, but I hope that it gets appreciated further down the line because I think it's it's a tremendous movie. And I would like I, it was uh, you got to pick your battles as to what you get to see. I Correct. didn't get to see it. Wanted to. It's on my radar. I would really like to see it. But, you know, you also got to remember Neil Armstrong didn't know going into the mission that he was going to become Neil Armstrong. You know, he thought he was going to blow up and be caught on fire and scattered pieces all over the place. That didn't happen, thankfully. And he got to be the first man to walk on the moon. So he lives in in all time history. Um, 
But I mean, imagine not knowing that that's going to be the case. And the likelihood is that you will be blown up and incinerated. And you got to leave your family to do that, to, to push those boundaries. That's a heck of a story. Yeah. You know, that's something I want to see. Yeah. yeah First it, man. It's a good one. It's, It'll be coming out on video and Redbox before long. Check it out. Yes, I would I would highly recommend it because it's that good and it it only got a pretty brief run in theater but it's in, in theaters but it's it's worth going to check out. So look up online, get onto the get onto the Googles and look up for cult movies, underappreciated movies, and give some of these a try. And these are the kind of movies that you know occasionally they are going to come out into the current day box office like First Man uh, and others yet to come. Give them a chance because the more that you watch them, the more the box office for those rise, the more those they'll make, and the less. You know, you'll have better options than, you know, well, we watch fighting robots or fighting aliens. Well, how about this interesting movie about astronauts or whatever the case? Well, yeah, and then... Give them their due. Yeah, give them their due. You get more of those movies that come along then rather than sequels, too, and, and ones like that, um, that that come along. Oh, that, that reminds me. Um, there There's another movie that, that gets so much run on TV these days, and... Oh my gosh! Why am I blanking on the title of the movie now? Tell me who's in it. What it's about? I might it's know it's it. from the '90s. Talk about an underrated movie. It's one that people talk about all the time. Of hey, this is actually there are some great tropes in this movie. But it's it's from the '90s. Space movie, space wars. It's um, it's got a lot of theme hidden themes to it, and yet it looks like it's just a bug shooting movie on the Was surface. This super or space. Um... Oh, space troopers? No, no, no. super troopers. No, super troopers. It's um, yeah, I know the movie you're talking about. Uh, spe- oh, jeez, I know the name of it. Paul Verhoeven and um, look up um, Casper Van Diem. Oh He's my in gosh, it. Uh, uh, I do know the new movie. I can't even say. It. I'm. Right I can't on the- believe we're blanking on this. Put in Paul Starship, Starship troopers. troopers. There Starship it is. Troopers. I was close yes. with with uh, space troopers. Yes. Yeah. Starship, Starship Troopers. Troopers. That's another one that that you could count in the underrated category. I see it on TV all the time, and people have talked about how that movie had a lot of hidden themes to it. Oh yeah, it's based on a book. In fact, it's, it's underwritten, it's undervalued in a way, but it's not so undervalued because the book. A lot of folks, when they were going to sit down, were going to make this movie, like Aliens, for example. They made everyone read the books, Starship, Starship Troopers, uh, to get the vibe and get the feel. And there's a lot of undercurrent there, most definitely. Paul Verheeren did the same thing with RoboCop and put in a lot of themes. Did the same thing with this one. It is a very violent, very shoot 'em up movie, but it's a it's a very good movie. It really, really is. Yeah. It's it's not totally my cup of tea, but it's it's a movie that talk when you talk about the the whole underappreciated kind of thing. It, yeah. It was in its time, but it's it's kind of latched on since then. Particularly if you look just beyond the obvious, we're going to shoot the bugs. You know? Right. If you look a little deeper than that, it's an onion. You can peel that baby. Yes. All right. This has been Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Glad to be back with you. The stunt performers are on set. Yes, and we are sponsored by the Bemidji Theater. Glad to have them aboard as a sponsor for the podcast. We're back and we're rolling again. Coming up next time, I think we've settled on going with sports, go for, sports. Our, for our topic next time. Yeah, with with Creed two looming, a really good time to discuss sports movies and get into that a little bit. How about that, Dave? We've already planned out an episode well in advance for the next time around. We had our brief hiatus. Now we're back and we're soldiering forward. Yeah, and we're rip roaring forward like, with some good ideas. Like Starship Troop. Hey, 
You're kind of right. We are. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm the other guy. The other guy. We'll leave it at that. That makes me think of the other guys now. That's all an, of a sudden. Also another good movie. <laughs> Slightly more appreciated, but darn good movie. I'm Dave Brooks. And we will see you at the movies.